Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Pendarvis Harshaw, host of Right Nowish. Coming to you with part five of Penn's Pal series, where I chop game with folks from the Bay who are currently living outside of the States. This episode takes that idea and adds a little twist. We're staying here in the Bay, but talking to a local artist whose work crosses borders and puts on for Iranian culture. Meet filmmaker and co-founder of Even Odd Studios, Mohammed Gorgistani. He's a Bay kid, but he's originally from Iran. My work is about just taking my experiences of, of someone who like loves his culture in Iran, but also I'm, a, I'm from the Bay. Like I'm, I grew up in San Jose. I've been in San Francisco for nearly two decades. Like I was raised by all these things that I think represent cultures that don't worship money as the only currency. Like we have music, art, dance, food, like, that's wealth. We discuss the value of community, art, and that never-ending quest to find further connections to the idea of home with filmmaker Mohammed Gurjistani after this. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Inside of the Even Odd production studio in The Mission, business owner and film director Mohammed Gorgistani and I were set to discuss his work, but we couldn't get there without first understanding the artwork on the office's walls. The production studio is more than just a place with editing computers, a glossy wooden table, and the latest camera gear. He has that and more. It's a mini museum full of framed posters, original photography, small statues, and a lot more. Really tried to build this place out to be kind of like you know, warm, but also reflect kind of the intersections of my culture. You know what I mean? So like when you come in here, there's like a big ass Persian carpet. You got to take your shoes off. You know, you got to put on the sandals. I guess for the simplest way to describe it is like take my experiences and just like 
express it into like a physical space. Is that a skateboard? That's a skateboard by this woman named Leila Nazarian. She basically takes skateboards and like placing like highly traditional Persian, Iranian art on them. And that one is um, from the Shahnameh, which is kind of our book of language that helped preserve the Iranian language during the like Arab conquest. Um, so putting it through the filter of a skateboard, right, right, which makes it which makes it contemporary, which makes it fly. Yeah, I see one of the pieces of art on your wall is a print of a wrestler. What's the story behind it? I love wrestling, man. It's like part of my identity. You know, I grew up in um, on the west side of San Jose, kind of like the one uh, subsidized housing strip. And for whatever reason, man, like wrestling was like a thing. I mean, I remember our junior high team had like 120 wrestlers on it. It was like crazy. And for me, it was all about being proud of, of, of my culture. Iran was like a, and still is a powerhouse. And the sport of wrestling, it's hard to compare it in the Western context or think of it in the Western context. Like here, it's like, I don't know, UFC, MMA, Monster Energy Drink kind of thing. But in Iran, it's like a sport of like, tradition and honor and rooted in poetry and art and music. And like, if you go to Iran in the traditional wrestling houses known as the Zurkhanes, like you walk in, there's like a little pit that goes down below surface level. That's where the wrestlers go to be below the people. The elders will circle around them, often drinking tea. Then the next level above them is the musicians playing music, and then the level above them is poets and orators. So I think it's just like this beautiful piece that kind of puts me into, a, a, I think, a state of mind that, that makes me feel good. This piece, the skateboards, the sculptures, mm -hmm. why is it important to have these aspects of culture here? I wasn't part of the wave of uh, Iranians who left during the revolution. You know, my family, my parents, we stayed and were more part of, kind of an unknown part of Iranian history, the Iran-Iraq war. And that was an eight-year war. My parents stuck through all eight years. So my last memories of Iran are being on my dad's shoulders, taping up our windows, going into the basement, waiting for the uh, air sirens to, like basically the air sirens come on, you have about I don't know, 20, 30 minutes to like go into your basement and you just kind of wait. So I just remember these things. And then we ended up in like San Jose a year later by way of Turkey. And like in Turkey, we were just like waiting around. Me and my mom and dad were like stayed in like a eight by eight room for a year when my dad like went to Dubai to try to figure out how we were gonna get to the US. One of my dad's best friends who's kind of like a, a legend in the Iranian diaspora of Northern California helped us get to San Jose and he helped hundreds of families do that. My parents are artists, so a lot of the art I was experiencing was through the lens of Iranian artists. That was only in the confides of our home. My parents stopped making art in the U.S. professionally. Assimilation is just part of like survival. As I've gotten older, I've just realized how much I have an affinity to, to, to not just my culture, but to, to trying to understand who I am and where I come from. So for me, having this space is a little bit of like a reclaiming of your identity, a reclaiming of your culture. 
there's art that is reflective of you and that journey that you said poured into you. For sure. I would say just one other thing I want to point out is like, there's layers to this shit because even some of these books, the way I've been able to get them here represents the story of what has happened to Iran uh, under imperialism, under a current very like um, belligerent Western foreign policy. And even these books, like getting them here, I, I have to do this through like the rabbit holes of like WhatsApp and Telegram and, you know, get someone to like ship a book here and ship a book there. Somehow, and then three months later, I have to go to like SFO, pick them up at customs, cross my fingers that, you know, I don't have to get questioned. And I've been questioned to pick up the books. But when you open some of them, you'll notice there's like a piece of tape on a lot of the pages, the cover, and especially the first 20 for, or the back 20 pages. And the reason for that is because of sanctions. I have to get these books and get them through the custom scanners. All right. So to be clear, these are U.S. imposed sanctions on Iran he's talking about, which has made it difficult for Mohammed to buy items such as books from Iran. So he has to use clever ways to make sure that these works of art get through customs. Someone in Iran is like taking little pieces of tape and paper, covering all the places that says the word Iran, just so the custom scanners don't flag it. And I used to take the pieces of paper off. And then I stopped. I was like, no, that's part of the artifact. Like, this is part of the story, you know, and that's part of them being here. These are things that aren't supposed to be here. So it's like, to me, it's also an act of resistance. It's an act of dissent to be like, no, fuck that. I'm going to get this shit here. You're seeing art, like vital. Art is vital, man. Like, this is, like, to me, art is everything. Film, cinema, art, photography, all these things that I think are created to reshape or challenge what people believe about the world. I found the tool of cinema to be the most um, fluent or natural place for me to gravitate to. As I started to become fascinated with film, I was like, well, who are the filmmakers from where I'm from? Abbas Kiristami is kind of the, if there is a god of Iranian cinema, it's him. He's the Jordan, you know? His films really speak to you in a language that goes into your spirit. And when I watched his films, I just remember literally being like, you know, transported. Muhammad was around 19 when he first watched an Abbas Kiristami film. Now, two decades later, Muhammad is collaborating with a foundation named in honor of the late Kiristami to promote the filmmaker's canon to folks who aren't familiar with his work. Muhammad and his team started with adapting one of Kiristami's films into a book. It's a coloring book, it's kind of a graphic novel, and it's an activity book. And we took the film Where's the Friend's House, which is like one of his most revered films. It's about a kid trying to return his classmate's notebook and the maze he has to go through to find this, to find his friend's house. I'm really passionate about like taking all these things I love and trying to put them through a filter that introduces it to a new audience. Because I think as much as I love Kiristami, I don't want his work to be stuck in the confines of like just cinema or cinephiles or art institutes. Through spreading awareness about Kiristami, Muhammad is reminding folks that Iran has a vibrant art scene and that there's more to Iran than what we read in news headlines. 
to me, this is, this is a bit of a political work. You know, I think everything is kind of political when you think about it. This is about showing white people that, like, your interpretation of our culture is not accurate. As a filmmaker yourself, it seems as a way of producing stories about culture is that you're introducing people to new ways of thinking so they don't get confined to their perspective. That's what I'm seeing. I'm thinking about the film Refuge. It's about immigration. It's about oppressive forces. It's about this American dream. It's the, or American nightmare. Or American nightmare. Yeah, American quote-unquote dream. What went into the making of that film? That film was really rooted in this idea of like, when you grow up in a subset of that is Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley's ultimate export is technology. That technology can do good things, and as we know, can do terrible things. And what is very true is that the brunt of all the negative will always be felt by the underclass. Right. And the way this country is set up is that that underclass is often going to be black, brown or immigrants. So refuge was really just like taking this experience of like, what's it like to be Iranian in the future as an immigrant? If there was some sort of cyber war that happened, how would America treat and react? And how would capitalism and technology participate in this? And just really like putting that in a blender and seeing what the fuck came out. What came out was like basically a story of a, of a young woman who was trying to leave a certain past behind and realizing that the place she was coming to, that there was going to be a, that there was a, there's always going to be a price to pay. Like you're not just going to participate in any kind of American dream without giving something up. Why was I not cleared? Ms. Elhami, because of the nature of these reviews, the NSA has opted to keep that information classified. This is not fair. I haven't done anything wrong. What's your mission statement as a filmmaker? I'm trying to basically create these artifacts that when they're left behind, someone can understand what it was like for a kid who grew up in Tehran, who left in the middle of a war, who has the memories I do from that war, who lived in an eight by eight room in Turkey for a year, not knowing what was going on, growing up in like section eight community, but like, Having a good childhood, man, I, I didn't have a bad childhood, but there was struggle with it. And as you get older, you, you understand that you're existing in this system, and that the system that's here that's oppressing the people you love and the culture you love and the things you love was the same thing that caused you to leave where you're from. And then you have to think about all the things that are still affecting your ability to be a free person in the world. I'm trying to take that experience and put it through a filter that is as real to who I am as possible. What also comes to mind for me is um, Iranian cinema is a cinema of the people. Iranian art is an art of the people. Iranian wrestling is about the people. Every athlete says their purpose of competing is to make which means to make my people happy. One more time. You know, to, to make my people happy. 
as I'm thinking about it in real time right now, that's as much as a commitment to kind of my community in, in the Bay Area, but it's also what I think is consistent to being an Iranian artist is <laughs> work for the people, you know, and putting an aesthetic on it. That's also like a way of um, where my, my two cultures kind of overlap and bridge together. Expanding on your, your portfolio, your 1-800 Happy Birthday work, what is it and what's the goal of that, that piece? For Oscar Grant's birthday, every year there's like an event, it's almost like his birthday party, community event. And so we showed up to it with cameras just to document it. And through the process of that, I was like, I was like, I remember the question being like, why am I the only camera here? Where's the news at? Like, this is still part of the story. This is actually a really important part of the story. Because what you're seeing is the arc of grief going from you're in the acceptance phase, and now you're seeing the community create legacy out of what happened to Oscar. And then when Mario Woods was murdered here, I was just kind of like, I was like, oh, San Francisco progressive city just saw someone getting like executed, pretty much executed with 21 bullets. Like this must be, this is gonna be a big moment. And it wasn't. I mean, I was definitely upset about it, but I remember being confused. It was just, it was just like this confusion. And then so we made, Happy birthday, Mario Woods, um, that summer. And then we also made happy birthday, Philando Castile, that same summer. And just because I felt like it was important to show what happened to each person and their families through a different context, which was their life which for every individual, you celebrate your birthday. But Muhammad didn't stop there. The film series evolved into an interactive, crowdsourced project to keep raising awareness about the lives cut short by police brutality. I called Mario's mom and I was like, I was like, hey, I have this idea of like, can we set up a phone number? Like you leave a voicemail greeting and then we'll, we'll collect happy birthday messages. And She's like, that sounds great. And I was like, okay, now I gotta figure out how to do this. We designed and created this website and I know if anybody was gonna call. And we ended up getting like almost a hundred voicemails. And the experience of listening to those voicemails was like, it was deep, man. Like it was very, it was so many things. And we ended up, basically over the course of two years, repeating that for about um, 16 other families. The, the idea of space is very important. And I just remember wanting to like take these voicemails and put them out in the public through like an audio installation or uh, I actually had my idea was phone booths. And it just so happened right at that time, uh, I got connected with an organization in New York called Worthless Studios, and New York City was getting rid of their phone booths. And we ended up getting 20 of those phone booths. And we started collaborating on what would end up becoming the 1-800-HAPPY-BIRTHDAY exhibition, which is basically um, a public exhibition that recontextualizes the American epidemic of police brutality through the lens of, like, birthdays. Because that's something that I think everyone can relate to. 
we took these phone booths, we fabricated them, designed them, kind of just made them monuments that represent each person. And as you walk by, motion sensor makes the phone ring, you pick it up, and you can listen to the voicemails. The phone rings? Yeah, phone rings, and you pick it up. So there's almost like this, like, magical thing that happens as you walk by, and you pick up the phone, and the voicemails start playing. For Muhammad and the artists that worked with studios, hosting the exhibit in Brooklyn was gratifying, but they saw how it meant so much more to the audience. For the black and brown people that have experienced this thing in their own communities and their own families, what they're listening to is people saying these amazing things about this person that they love outside of the context of news or a headline or a policy. They're just able to like kind of bask in the love. And then for people who aren't from those communities, it's like, wait a second, like, this person that was so revered and loved, like, why the fuck did they have to die? So we got to keep the names alive through the most humanizing context we can. Now we're trying to travel the exhibition and bring it to the Bay next. And I'm wondering if you were to write a letter home, what would, it, what would be the contents of that letter? Man, that's a crazy question, bro. <laughs> Yeah, you came with the uppercut. <laughs> the wrestling move at the end. Yeah. Um, the thing that occupies my mind the most when I think about my identity, which is like, who would Muhammad have been if he never left Iran? So I would probably write the letter to that person. Even though maybe that kid wishes that he might have experienced America and lived in the Bay Area and grown up like me that this version of him also wishes that he never left. You're going to have to give something up. There is a transaction. And, it's, and, and what we know about America is how much of that, of its economic mobility, how much of its like foreign policy has been at the expense of people of color. That's the thing I struggle with the most is like, I still don't know if it was the right thing to do to leave. The only way I can make it the right decision I feel like is if I'm able to kind of express that experience in a way artistically that allows me to feel closure around it. Mohammed, thank you. Thank you for the hospitality. I really appreciate you opening up your doors so we can see the art that informs the work that you do. Thank you for sharing your personal story with us. I also wonder what I'd be like if I grew up in another place so you're not alone in that quandary. Good luck on the future projects and the continued discovery of self. Mohammed was recently named a 2023 Reigning Foundation Fellow. Big time congrats. Mohammed's work can be found all over the internet. There's tons of good clips and interesting short films on YouTube. Just search his name, Mohammed Gorgistani. Mohammed is spelled M-O-H-A-M-M-A-D. Gorgistani is spelled G-O-R-J-E-S-T-A-N-I. And you can find him on Twitter at Mo Gorgistani and Instagram at Mohammed Nonprofit. Profit is spelled P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Marisol Medina Cadena is the Right Nowish producer. 
Chris Hambrick is our editor. Seal Muller and Christopher Beale engineered this joint. Rice Stottenborough is our engagement intern. Cesar Saldana is the engagement lead. And the KQED execs that make this all possible are Ethan Tovin Lindsay, Jen Shin, and Holly Kernan. I'm Pendarvis Harshaw. We'll write back with another episode of Pins Pals coming up next week. Until then, y'all take care. Right now, which is a KQED production. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.